0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Came across something I thought you might enjoy. Jose Jimenez was a 65-year-old... Oh, you know somebody named Jose? Jose Jimenez was a 65-year-old multimillionaire who was also a widower. He wasn't feeling well, and so he went to the doctor. The doctor gave him a thorough checkup, sent Jose on his way. Several weeks later, the doctor sees Jose at the country club. And he says, wow, Jose, you must be feeling a whole lot better. Because he noticed Jose had a gorgeous blonde bombshell hanging on his arm. So he says, you must be feeling a whole lot better. And Jose says, Jess, I'm just following your orders. The doctor says, what orders is that? He said, well, you said, Doc, find a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, no, I didn't. I said, you have a heart murmur. Be careful. (laughs)
1: Uh. (laughs) That's cute right there. You see, old Jose,
0: he heard it exactly the way he wanted to hear it. And there are times that we will come to the house of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate physician. He is the great psychiatrist. He's the great psychologist. He'll speak a word to your heart, and if you're not careful, you only hear it the way you want to hear it. So I'm praying that this morning you hear it exactly as God says it. Amen? Get your Bible out and turn it on, and (laughs) and turn with me uh, to Psalms... 34, verse 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the King James. If you don't have a Bible with you, then follow along on the screen. Title of the message, the power of worship that brings God's presence. We'll preach part two tonight on living out your transformation daily. But the power of worship that brings God's presence. David is writing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Can we read verse four out loud? Let's just fill the atmosphere with God's word. Ready, read. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. Let's do it again. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, but let me take a little time and explain to you or show you how powerful that statement really is. Did you know that there are 10 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Abraham? There are 11 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel And his grandchildren from his son Isaac became the nation of Israel. And we all know how important and imperative that is with the fulfillment of prophecy and all the things that are taking place in the Middle East. And yet there were only 11 chapters in the Bible dedicated to the life of Jacob. There are 10 chapters in the Bible that are devoted to the life of Elijah and Elisha, the two major miracle-working ministries of the Old Testament. But did you know there are 66 chapters in the Bible that relate directly to the life of David? And over 1,200 references to his name are found in the Bible. In addition, to those of you that think David was an Old Testament character, you need to know that 59 times David is mentioned in the New Testament. When you think of faith, you think of Abraham. When you think of patience, you think of Job. When you think of the law, you think of Moses. And when you think of miracles, you think of Elijah and Elisha. But when you think of the praise and worship, when you think of the power of God's presence emanating in the life of an individual, you think of God's song and dance man, David. The most prominent Old Testament character mentioned over 1,200 times is a man of worship. I began to study and I asked the Holy Spirit, there must be a reason why, Holy Spirit, you inspired and directed the authors of the Bible to keep referencing and speaking about the life of David. God never does a procacious miracle. He always has a reason for things that he accomplishes and what he does. So there had to be a reason why the Holy Spirit kept inspiring and directing the authors of the Bible to keep speaking and writing about David. I believe it's because he loved the presence of the Lord. He longed for the presence of God. There are two major events in David's life that stand out to me that show us how much he loved the presence of the Lord. In 2 Samuel 6, we see him at a high point in his life. It tells us he's cartwheeling, and he's dancing, and he's shouting before the Ark of the Covenant, and he's dancing, literally dancing, and bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold box. In it were three things. Aaron's rod, which represented God's leadership. The Ten Commandments, which represented God's law. And the manna, which represent God's provision. Or the bread that God supplied the children of Israel in the wilderness. You need to know as a side note, God didn't supply that bread for one day, two days, or three days. God supplied the bread in the wilderness for 14,600 days. That's how long 40 years turns out to be. And you come in here with your thimble full of faith asking, Lord, can you do something in San Antonio? Lord, can you do a miracle in my house? And he supplied the bread for 14,600 days for 2.5 million Jews, roughly the size of the state of Rhode Island. Well, a piece of that manna was in the Ark of the Covenant, representing God's provision. And the Bible says that they're dancing before the Lord, and they're celebrating with all their might. And the reason they're celebrating is the Ark of the Covenant during the reign of King Saul, David's predecessor, had not held the prominence or the importance in the nation of Israel that it should have had. In other words, Saul didn't put an important, uh, importance on the presence of God. He was resting on his own leadership ability. In David's eyes, this was a great grievance to Israel as much as the insults of the Philistines and their giant Goliath. And the Philistines, they stole the Ark of God believing it would make them invincible in war. And their mindset was, if we get this ark, then it'll make us invincible in war and no one will touch us. So they put the ark of God on a cart and brought it to the city of Gad, or the nation of the Philistines. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, that the hand was heavy against the Philistine nation. Problem was, they didn't understand that there's a price to pay to bring God's presence. There's a price to pay to bring victory. There's a price to pay to bring the presence and the glory of God. So the Bible says that the hand of God was heavy against the nation of the Philistines. And he struck them with emeralds. One translation says tumors. My personal favorite translation says hemorrhoids. (laughs) That's what it says. It says God struck them with hemorrhoids. I I want you to imagine a whole nation of people that can't sit down. And God was soon to let them know, you know, they were soon to find out God always gets you in the end. If you believe that, (laughs) we'll move on. And so they said, get rid of it. Get rid of this ark. When it came into our nation, the hand of their God was heavy against us. And so they sent it on its way. And it was on its way from the city of Gad, nation of Gad Philistines, to the house of Obed-edom. And David and his whole nation were so excited. And David goes out to get it. And the Bible says in Second Samuel six, David brought together all the able young men of Israel, thirty thousand of them. When it says the able young men, it's the age of the fighting young men, from thirteen to thirty. These are David's finest warriors. Here is a king. Here is a father. Here is a pastor. Here is a man who realizes there's nothing more important than the presence of God. I've got to get my finest to go and get the presence of God. And the Bible says in verse 5 that they're celebrating and they're dancing and they're shouting and they're using castanets and they're using harps. That's how you know David was kind of Puerto Rican. Because he was just marengue. (laughs) <laughs> you know you, this church just gets me excited and,
1: and, because it's good to be in a church where I'm not the darkest person in the building hallelujah see you got me so excited I forgot what I was doing so he gets all and they
0: go get the ark of the covenant This is a high point in David's life. He realizes there's nothing more important than the power of the presence of God, and he's doing everything he can to bring it to his family, to bring it to his nation. Well, then we see him in 1 Samuel 30 on another occasion, on the saddest day of his life, when the Amalekites had raided the Negev and the Ziklag, which is David's hometown. And they have attacked Ziklag, and they burn it. And they took captive the women and the children and verse 2 says, everything, everything else in it, both young and old. That means the children, the cattle. David lost his home. He lost his wife. He lost everything that was dear to him. Verse Samuel 30, verse 4 through 6 says, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. One translation says, in bitterness of soul. Have you ever gone through a deep valley? That after all the tears are shed, there's still an emptiness in your heart. And you can't shed any more tears, and you think no one understands, and no one knows. Oh, Monday night, you don't want to miss Monday night. I'll be teaching on the Holy Spirit
1: intercedes with groanings. And you shed all the tears, and all you can do is Verse 6 tells us, David was
0: greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. You need to understand these men the day before were willing to give their life for David. These were the elite fighting force of Israel. You can compare them to the Navy SEALs or the Green Berets or Top Guns. These men, when you read about David's mighty men, these are the men that would jump into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. I mean, by themselves with just one spear. These men are amazing, talented, gifted. They would give their life for the king, but on this day, because life threw them a
1: curve. Have you ever had life throw you a curve? On this day, they're saying, stone him. Verse 6 tells us, but David encouraged himself
0: in the Lord. The actual Greek translation, David went and found the presence of the Lord. What's amazing is on both occasions, the happiest day of his life and on the saddest day of his life, his first reaction, his basic instinct was exactly the same. He worshiped. He turned both situations into a time of praise and worship. In the highs and in the lows, he said, I've got to get in the presence of the Lord. All the commentaries I read said the nation of Israel grew and prospered more under King David than at any other time in the history of the nation of Israel. Did you hear me, businessman? Did you hear me, entrepreneur? Did you hear me, mom and dad? Did you hear me, all of you that want to create a life that is full of excellence? Did you hear me, collegian? You are studying and you're waiting and you're preparing for a life that will better your life. Hear me. If you want to be better, then be like David and become a person of worship. His main emphasis in life was to worship the Lord. The presence of God was his main thing. You want to get better? Then learn how to worship. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. Yeah, praise him. Can you imagine what would happen in our church? Can you imagine what would happen in every church in America if we as the body of Christ understood and took serious David's example and understood that as we worship God in every experience of our life, in the good and in the bad, in sickness, and in health, if we would love, honor, and cherish the presence of almighty God. God is able to expand and grow and prosper our lives and prosper our churches. We couldn't even hold the people. You talk about church growth. We couldn't hold the people in our churches if we would all begin to praise him like never before. Listen, evangelism comes out of worship. Here is what many people don't understand. They will come to our church and they look around and they say, why do they worship the way they worship? They'll look around and they'll say, why do some get excited? Why do some cry? Why do some raise their hands? And why do others dance a little? Why is there some that even though they're contemplative and quiet, you look at them and there's a serenity on their face. There's a peace that passes all understanding. It's not so much about the, 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 the amount of shout or the volume of the shout. In fact, they used to teach us, it doesn't matter how high you jump. It just matters how straight you walk when you get back down. They don't understand it. They say, why such an emphasis? On this kind of worship. Well here's the reason. God has set us free. Well you didn't hear me. I said God has set us free. And because of that freedom. We must be a church that is unashamed and uninhibited to give God boisterous, amazing, and sometimes loud, and even at times shouting, and then there'll be times of contemplative peace and quietness. Whatever it is, that's a pillar of the church of Jesus Christ. Worship brings evangelism. People get saved when the church starts to worship. People are healed in the presence of God. Things begin to happen when the church begins to worship. Marriages are healed. Lives are restored. Blind things begin to become clear again. If you believe that, it's okay to shout amen. In John 4, 3, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. The word must is the imperative in our language that tells us he has a divine appointment. Some of you know the story, but let me pause a little and explain it to you. Jesus, on his way, he went through Samaria, and he sits down by a well. And he tells the disciples, you go and get some lunch and bring it back. Hurry, come quickly. And he's waiting. He has a divine appointment. And as he's waiting there, a Samaritan woman of ill repute came to draw water from the well. Many theologians believe she came at 12 in the afternoon because she knew the other ladies would come early in the morning and not at the heat of the day and really didn't want to get involved with all the talking little hens at the well. And so she decides to come in the afternoon, but she doesn't realize the master is waiting. I could preach a whole series of messages on how the master in the form of the Holy Spirit is waiting on you. How many are glad he still waits on you? He's waiting. He's waiting. And she walks up and Jesus begins a conversation with her. And he says to her, woman, where is your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, I know that's true. You've had five husbands and the man you are with right now
1: is not your husband. Talk about a click moment. <laughs> and by this, she knows he's a prophet. And he begins to unpack her life and speak to her.
0: And if you're not careful, you will miss one of the key components of the whole text. We seem to gloss over it, and we miss God's mode of operation. Because buried in the narrative, is one of the most important, probably the most pressing theological questions for first century Samaritans. She looks right at him and she says, where is the proper place of worship? You see, the Samaritans were descended from the Israelite people who had not been deported when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, 721 and 722 B.C. But they allowed it or imported other people into their region. They allowed the other people to settle into their region. And you read that in 2 Kings 17, through 41. The result of them allowing other people into their region was many of them were now living a watered-down lifestyle. They had a modern-day, watered-down worship. Let me pause right here and tell you that I've been doing this for 30 years. We speak 50 weeks out of the year. And I, I was just telling Pastor Janet last night at dinner that there's a popular thing out there now called performance-driven worship. And I asked one of the leading churches that I was preaching a conference in, Church of Thousands, I said, what does this performance-driven worship mean? Well, we believe that if we perform at our best, it makes God happy. And the result of that is, as you're performing for us, the church never engages in worship. Because there's an edification not of God. Oh, don't miss tonight. I'm going to expound on this deeply. And suddenly, man is puffed up. And so the Samaritans had experienced this for themselves. They had a watered-down type of worship, and yet there were many of them that realized The Messiah is still coming. And they're still watching and looking. In essence, she is saying, we as Samaritans want the real thing. We've allowed others to water down our words. We want the real thing. By an upraised hand, how many want the real thing? I want the real thing, God. I don't want man's performance, but I want the moving of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm longing for the same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. I want the real thing. If you want the real thing, somebody just clap your hands and say, Lord, we want it right here, the real thing. We want the real thing. So the Samaritans continue to worship God, but also allow other worship. Jesus looks right at her, and he answers her in this way. Your fathers worshiped on this mountain, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here's the prophetic part of Jesus' statement. For the Father will seek
1: out those who worship him. See, often we'll tell Pastor Janet, I'm longing for more of God. I want to worship him.
0: Often we'll tell, Pastor, I'm really longing for more of God. And so I'm going to fast. And those are key components. (coughs) However, Jesus just told us, when you begin to worship God, creator of the universe says, I come and seek you out. No matter where you are. I will seek you out. Maybe you're laying in the hospital and you're waiting for the results of the MRI because the doctor has told you you've got possible cancer that's eating you alive. And you've got an IV in your arm and you've got oxygen in your nose and they're monitoring your heartbeat and there's great fear and trepidation and you're just waiting. If you will lay there in that bed and begin to worship the master, he says, the moment you begin to worship me, I will come and seek you out. Maybe you're a long haul truck. And you're out there on the highway somewhere, and it's just you and God, and you think nobody understands. If you begin to worship Him, the presence of the Almighty God will fill that semi-truck, and He will come and seek you out. Maybe you're a collegian, and you're walking across campus, and you're on your way to that lab where you know you've got to study. I've got to pass this test. If I don't pass it, my grade point average is going through the floor. I won't get a job. As you begin to walk across that campus, it In your spirit, if you begin to say, Lord, I need you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I can't live without you. The moment you begin to worship the king of the universe, the God that said, let there be light, and there was light, that God comes and seeks you out. Maybe you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. And you know that you should be in a different relationship, but you are stuck because a spirit of the world has grabbed you and is holding you and you can't break loose of that spirit. And you know you're on your way to that person's house and you're saying, Lord, I know I shouldn't be here, but I've got to have something break this spirit. I've got to have, this person has a stronghold on me.
1: And you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in me, huh? The moment you begin to worship, He comes and seeks
0: you out. By an upraised hand, how many want the God of the universe to seek you out right where you are? Well, you didn't hear me. I said, how many want the God of the universe to come and seek you out right where you are? In the midst of your struggle. In the midst of your circumstance. You see, the Samaritan woman caught on spiritual fire when Jesus has the conversation with her about worship. And when I say worship, immediately we think, well, songs
1: of praise, that's part of it. But worship is thanking God in advance. Before you see the miracle,
0: before you see the healing, before you see the financial boon, it's thanking God in advance because it's easy to have faith at the beginning when God speaks to you in the altars of grace. And it's easy to have faith at the end when you see the fulfillment
1: of the promise. It's hard (coughs) to have faith in the middle when you're trusting him. You see, worship is the way you live your life Monday through Saturday.
0: (coughs) Monday, thank you, Pastor. Monday through Saturday matters. Would you say that with me? Monday through Saturday matters. Say it again. How you live your life, the relationships you are in, what you do, if they don't line up with the Word of God, Monday through Saturday matters. And then you want to come into the house of the Lord on Sunday and do your dance. But Monday through Saturday matters. And the disciples return with food, scratching their head and wondering why Jesus is speaking to a foreign woman in a public place. The Samaritan woman came back with every heathen person in the city. She goes and gets every, and she says to him, come and hear this man who told me everything about my life. Could he be the Messiah? She literally becomes the first evangelist in the book of John. A whole city can be saved when God finds a church that will worship him in everything that they do. Monday through Saturday. Come on. Monday through Saturday. Because the spirit of worship creates the spirit of evangelism. And they watch how you're living your life, walking with God, living out your relationship with Him. That doesn't mean you sit on the job and just,
1: oh. That doesn't mean that when you should be working, you're reading your Bible. You say, well, why not? Because they're not paying you to read your Bible. And there are so many Christians, they get out there in the workforce,
0: oh, I'm just, oh, blessed God. And they're reading there, and and the boss comes by and goes, what's wrong with you? You're weird. Do you realize that one of Satan's greatest tools to keep us from an incredible miracle-working ministry of the Holy Spirit, one of the devil's greatest tools in us developing our relationship with the Holy Spirit is to create a train of thought that if you get involved with the Holy Spirit, you'll become weird.
1: Really weird. And you know what the sad thing is? There are a lot of weird people in church. Listen, there's a whole lot of eccentric people, but listen, the weird people in church were weird before they got saved. Amen. I mean, if they picked up coin collecting,
0: they'd just be weird coin collectors. But the whole, and, and then people will do crazy things, weird things, and blame it on the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit isn't weird. I I know him personally. He's a friend of mine. He's not weird. Is there anybody else in here that has him as a friend of yours, and you know he's not weird?
1: You don't have to be weird. Just walk with him. And as you're walking with him, people will say, oh,
0: that's how you react on the job when you're boss.
1: Oh, that's how you treat your wife. Oh, that's how you treat your husband. Oh, that's how you deal with your kid. I get it.
0: You see, evangelism creates spirit of, uh, the spirit of worship creates the spirit of evangelism. David wrote worship songs in the book of Psalms, and it's interesting that Jesus quoted more from the book of Psalms than any other Old Testament writer. Did you know that Jesus quotes from the Psalms on 11 different occasions? Jesus, the greatest Old Testament scholar of all time, used the book of worship as one of his greatest tools in his preaching arsenal to fulfill his missional purpose. Because in his own words, Jesus said, my mission is to seek and save those who were Come on, those who, were, those who were lost.
1: He knew if I can get people to worship, then live it out Monday through Saturday. Worship will bring evangelism. Lives will be healed. Marriage is restored. And he gets the glory. In Acts 15 and 16, there is a prophecy that I want
0: you to see. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Now, when it says all the Gentiles who are called by my name, this is referring to the nation or the people around the world that are not of the Jewish descent. You and I. The wild bunch of Mexicans and Puerto Ricans that are grafted in, all the other races that are grafted into the body of Christ. And the tabernacle of David had to do with the fact that David brought the Ark of the Covenant and he set it down on Mount Zion. He then placed it under a tent and he rolled up the tabernacle, the flaps of the tent, because up to this point, the people had been banned from being in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Can you imagine? I told the first service that I'm praying that the year 2020 will be the year of God's presence in Calvary Temple. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant was God's seat on earth. Isn't it interesting that God wanted a
1: seat on earth? Creator of the universe. He wanted a seat on earth. And what's even more interesting,
0: he would call the seat the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, if I had time. Which means if in it was Aaron's rod, God's leadership, the Ten Commandments, God's law, and the manna, God's provision, the only reason you get those things operating in your life is the mercy
1: that sits on top of it. The mercy of God. How many are thankful for the mercy of God? Psalm 22 and
0: 3 says, God is enthroned or inhabits the praises of his people. I was speaking to a missionary to Japan, and I don't know how we got on the conversation, a favorite text, but she said to me, do you know what the ancient Japanese translation of Psalm 22.3 is? And I said, no, I really don't. And she says, well, in Japanese, they say, whenever people worship, God brings his big chair and he sits down. Oh, I love that. In other words, God gets comfortable whenever a church begins to worship him. Don't you want to make God comfortable in this church? Don't you want to make God comfortable and you say, Lord, you bring your big old soft lazy boy chair and you sit it right here, kick up your feet, God, in the middle of our church, and we will praise you and we will welcome you. God, Holy Spirit, you just come and kick up your feet. Is there anybody else that wants God to kick up his feet in your house? in your home, on your job. Oh, if you do, then I want you to praise him right now because the more you praise him, miracles happen because when God's presence comes, lives are changed. People are changed. Somebody praise him. Let's just take a praise break right now. I just want you to praise him. Hallelujah! Just praise him. That's right. Praise him. Forget the person to the left and to the right. Lift up your voice and begin to praise him. Say, Holy Spirit, you send your big chair down right here. Somebody create the atmosphere for the presence of God to move in this place. I don't want you to clap. I want you to lift your hands and praise him. Open your mouth and praise him. Create a habitation for God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. You are welcome in our home. You are welcome in our marriage. You are welcome in our relationship. Come on, Calvary, praise him. Young and old, mom and dad. Lift up your voice and praise him. Welcome the presence of the Lord. Wherever you are watching me live stream, praise the Lord right now. Get up out of your seat right now and praise him. Because when you praise him, he comes to seek you out. Just praise him. Praise him. If you're watching me in Germany, praise him. If you're watching me right now in California, praise him. If you're watching me in Alaska, praise him. Maybe you're watching somewhere, just praise him. The same mighty God will come and seek you out. That's it, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Lord, set your chair down right here.
1: In the name of Jesus Christ, ayúdame.
0: In the name of Jesus Christ, ayúdame. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. This type of worship might be new to some of you, but David's
1: actions showed us he loved the presence of God. So he rolls up the tent of the tabernacle
0: and he rolls up the tent of the tabernacle because up to this point, the women were barred from the presence of the Lord. Women were in the court of the women. It blows my mind that my wife of 30 years would not be allowed to get into the presence of the Lord. It blows my mind that my 21-year-old daughter, who I love with all my heart, couldn't get into the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine Pastor Janet couldn't get into the presence of the Lord? Can can you imagine the wife that you love? Can you imagine yourself as a female? You couldn't even get into the presence of the Lord. David said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, not anymore. Roll up the tent tabernacle. Most average people can never get close to the Ark of the Covenant. But what's even sadder is in 2020, we have barred the presence of the Lord from many of our churches because we're afraid of getting weird. We're afraid that people won't like that. Let me explain something to you. The power of God is as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. If it's not for the power of God, I don't want to be there. It's the power of God that heals broken marriages. It's the power of God that heals broken hearts. Oh, hallelujah. So David said, not only will I roll up the tent tabernacle and open it up for the presence of God, but I've got to create an atmosphere for the presence of God to feel comfortable. So he says, get me 274 musicians to surround the Ark of the Covenant. In four different shifts, 24 hours a day for 360 days, you said, well, wait, 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 Pastor Randy. Uh, did they take five days off to recuperate? No, 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 no. Say, so they, they have an ecclesiastical calendar. We have a lunar calendar. So for 360 days of their ecclesiastical year, they praise God. And they didn't do it for one year. They didn't do it for two years. They didn't do it for three years. They did it for 33 years. And yet church growth experts tell me that people won't come to church, that if it's longer than an hour, they won't come to church. I will smile at them and say, you give them a reason to come, they will come. If the presence of God is there, they're going nowhere. Nowhere. They played musical instruments nonstop entertaining the presence of God on Mount Zion. And the people got into the presence of the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 16, 37, it says, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly or continually. In my study, I began to ask the Holy Spirit, Why did David do this, Lord? Do you know why we need so much worship and praise continually? Do you know why Monday through Saturday matters? Here's why. Because Satan's opposition is continual. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan accuses the church before God day and night. In the book of Job, the first chapter, the sixth to the seventh verse, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Now, I believe he was there in God's throne room for one reason. To accuse God's
1: church right before the throne of God. Listen to me. 24 hours a day, there is a
0: demon somewhere accessing and accusing you and your children. Accusing the church before the throne of God. And based on the book of Job, we know the devil knows how to get into the presence of the Lord. Friends, if the devil is going to be there accusing, I believe we, the church of the living God, need to be here praising. If the devil is persistent enough to accuse day and night, I would hate to think the devil is willing to go through more to get into the presence of God to accuse than we are willing to get into the presence of God to praise Especially since we already know that everything he is accusing the church of, the blood of Jesus at the cross of Calvary and because of the resurrection, has already covered. We are already forgiven. We are already accepted. We are already chosen. We are already righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I say praise him, again, I want to tell you, get this point, it's just not on Sunday morning, it's every day of the week thanking him in advance. Lord, even though I don't see the miracle, I'm going to thank you. Lord, even though I don't have that job yet, I'm going to thank you. Even though my child is living in rebellion, I'm going to thank you. The Bible says, raise up a child in the way he shall go, and he is old, he shall not depart. Lord, I know I shouldn't be in this relationship. I know I'm not walking right, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will break this thing. Lord, I want to thank. you. I want to praise you in advance. Is there anybody that could praise him before the miracle? Before the walls of Jericho come down? Before the Red Sea parts? Thank God, Lord, in advance.
1: See, we can let everything discourage us from worship. And thanking him in advance. Well, I just don't want to sing today. It's too cold out. Well, I can't worship today. It's too hot.
0: Well, I'm not going to worship today. I don't want to go to that church. They get those people at the door that hug you all the time. And I, I don't want to be hugged. And that woman over there, she never shaves.
1: And she just prickly all up. You know, she, Can't worship today. They don't sing my song. If they would sing the old songs, oh, then I would worship. Oh, Pastor Doug, when they start singing the old songs. I I just get so blessed, Pastor Doug, when they start singing the old songs. I could feel it right now. See,
0: Pastor, I would worship God if, if you just sing the old songs. Do you know that the only instrument they had in Moses' tabernacle was a shofar? And they would blow that old horn, you know.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful. That's my music. Sound like a wounded animal out there. But the Bible
0: says David created instruments for the first time.
1: And I can imagine that there's some holdovers from Moses' tabernacle. Who are now going to David's tabernacle. And they're saying, I don't like this new music.
0: This is not my music.
1: Blow the, oh, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. But let me
0: say something to you that are older than me, I'm 54, and let me say something to you that are younger than me that have kids and and have grandkids. If you're
1: saved and born again, church is not about you. I know you don't like to hear that, but church is not about you. And there's a whole new generation coming that God is raising
0: up. And David had all these people 24 hours a day, seven days a week for year upon year upon year praising him. And when you come in with that attitude, I'm not going to praise him today. That could cause a hindrance to the flow of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like carrying a cross down a cobblestone street of Jerusalem. I'm sure he didn't feel like getting beat in the face. It's not about our preference. It's about his presence. Oh, you didn't hear me. It's not about our preference. It's about his presence. I got to have his presence. If you believe that, come on, somebody clap your hands and praise him. Yeah. Yeah. And we can let the smallest of things cause us not to worship. But did you know there was a man who lived in the tombs of the Gadarenes who was filled with 2,000 demons? And the Bible said no chain could hold him. He was screaming like a wild animal. He, was, he looked like he was cutting his body, running through the catacombs, living in a graveyard. He can't be with his wife and children. And he sees Jesus at a far off, Mark chapter 5. Oh, baby. And the Bible says he came running to Jesus. The long, lean Galilean stepped out on the shore. His hair was blowing in the breeze. And that demon filled with 2,000 demons and falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to worship him. That tells this preacher that nothing in this world is authorized to stop your worship. Not even 2,000 demons if you really want to worship. There's no tax bill. There's no doctor's report. There's no cancer. There's no x-ray. There's no setback that can cause you from stopping to praise the Lord? Come on, if you believe that, somebody praise him. Come on, praise him. The only thing authorized to stop you from praising God is you. You're the only thing that's authorized. Jeremiah 33 and 3, God said, Call to me and I will end to you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. But you only get that in his presence. Unsearchable things. You know what that means? That means inside information. Listen, husband. Are you listening? The Holy Spirit, sir, wants to give you inside information about your wife. But, bro, you know you need help. I know I need help.
1: Pastor Doug, he needs to have a long counseling session. Inside information. Ladies, God wants to give you inside information about you, a man. Mm, oh wow. I'm about to have a Holy Ghost fate right here. Just... Yeah.
0: Inside information. The Holy Spirit wants to give you inside information on how to raise your kids who are living in digital Babylon.
1: And I could preach a whole series of messages on living in digital Babylon. Oh, baby. God wants to give you inside information. Inside information.
0: I got to shut this down here. Can I have five more minutes to finish this? Can I see you? Just five more? If I can have five. Let me see. I got five, 10, 15, 20. We're going to be here a while. You know, (laughs) I I travel, and I speak 50 weeks out of the year, and so I'm always on a plane. And I was at the civilian airport in Columbia, South Carolina. It's very close to Shaw Air Force Base, and it's the home of the fighting 20th Fighter Wing. The F-16s and the F-17s, you know, and the stealth bomb, they just, they land there. And there's a subdivision right there close to the airport. And so the military put up a large billboard, and it says this, Excuse the noise, it's the sound of freedom. Isn't that awesome? Excuse the noise, it's the sound of freedom. So, if you're sitting here wondering why so many people are getting excited and there's a lot of noise, please excuse the noise, it's the sound of freedom. For he who the sun has set free is free indeed. And there should be a sound of joy. There should be a sound of exultation. There should be a sound that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Somebody right now make some noise if you're glad that Jesus has set you free. Yes, Lord. Because when the praise starts getting out in the battle, we get breakthroughs. This is what happened with Jehoshaphat, you know, after fasting three days, God said, quit worrying and start praising. Quit worrying. Somebody say that with me. Quit worrying and start praising. Say it again. Quit worrying and start praising. This tells me there's a connection to faith and praising. 2 Chronicles 20, God says, for this battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. So put the singers and the choir out there in front of the army of God. And then still Jehoshaphat had to go consult with the people. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his loving mercies endure forever. His loving mercies endure forever forever. They were singing praise to the Lord. When they started praising, the enemy turned on one another. Isn't that awesome? Devouring one another, and it took them three days to pick up up all the spoils. Just gather it in. (coughs) Listen, I don't know what you're facing, but
1: I do know that no matter the circumstances, if you'll praise the Lord, he shows up himself. Shadrach,
0: Meshach, and Abednego Really, that is not their names. I don't have time to get into it. But the Babylon they were living in, the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did was he tried to erase the culture of a God from a generation. So he changed their name from Hebrew names, named after Jehovah and healing and peace, to cultural Babylonian names. That's exactly what digital Babylon is trying to do to your kids right now. That's exactly what Digital Babylon is doing to people in the nation. And they're saying, it's okay if you're in a homosexual relationship. It's okay if you're in this type of relationship. That's that's what they're trying to let you say. They're trying to erase everything about God from a culture. And when they realized they couldn't do that to these three Hebrew boys, they said, throw them in the furnace, heat them up. So the culture will try to heat your circumstances up. Oh, my Lord. The culture will, will try to make you feel ostracized. That The culture will try to make you feel like you don't fit in. If, if I can just put up the heat on them, then they'll, they'll buckle. But these young men stood tall. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, how many did we throw in? There were three we threw in, but there's a fourth man, and he looks like that of the son of the gods. When you get in the furnace... God shows up himself when you worship him.
1: When you worship him. When you begin to praise him. And that's what we're going to do. I want all the musicians to come and get ready.
0: Listen, friends, there's nothing wrong with the old songs. I love the old songs. I love the way Pastor, in leading us in worship today, sang a new song and then tied it to an old song. That, that's amazing.
1: I don't like all the new stuff, I don't like all the old stuff, but friends I can, I can't go simply by my feelings, and you don't have to feel it, you see this,
0: sometimes when you start praising God, it's a sacrifice of praise, I don't feel like it, Lord, they're not singing my psalm, but I'm going to worship you anyway, I'm going to praise you anyway. Let me wrap this up for you. David learned a huge lesson about praise and worship in God's presence when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. David had great intentions, but I realized that in an atmosphere like this, you could have all the greatest intentions, but when you get out there, it's hard to walk it out. And David became guilty of a major error in 2 Samuel 6. With all the greatest intentions in the world, when they arrived at the house of Abinadab, they put the ark of God on a new cart. You say, well, Randy, what's the cart represent? The cart is a vehicle of man, a program. God has never intended his leadership, his law, his provision, his presence to be put on a cart, to be pulled behind people like a heavenly bellhop or a heavenly Santa Claus. No. God's instructions to the nation of Israel were to put a rod or a long stick through the Ark of the Covenant and pick it up, feeling the full weight of my presence, my law, my leadership, and set it on your shoulders. There are times... That walking this thing out with God is heavy. It's difficult. I can't cast. Jesus said, "Come unto me, all you weary and heavy laden. I shall give you rest. Take upon me my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." The the yoke is a burden distribution device. Farmers would use it to put it upon a cow or an ox. But I can't cast off the yoke simply because it's heavy. I can't stop my ministry because the offerings are low or because I don't want to fly anymore to pray for people I don't know or or because I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. I just can't cast it off. And so the cart represents anything that you are using ahead of God. Well, Lord, I... I want all the miracles, I want all the healing, but I want to be in charge of my finances. So you've asked me for 10%, I just think I'm going to give you 2%. And I don't like the way that pastor is using it anyway, so I'm just going to delegate where I want it to go. You just put God on a cart. Because nowhere does it say, and I hate it when we put it on our envelopes, delegate where it's supposed to go now if that's an over and above of your tithe that's different but if it's your tithe show me in scripture where it says we have the right to it just says bring it into the storehouse well you know brother we gotta we gotta watch over these preachers are you the Holy Ghost? because I would rather have you watch over me than him because it's better to fall into your hands than it is the hands of an angry God Well, I know I shouldn't be, Lord. I want all the healings and blessings and miracles, but but I want to date who I want to date, and I want to live my private life. It's my private life, and they tell me on CNN that I got the right to just say whoever and do whatever I want. It's my body. And God said, "Oh, really, Mia? Did Jake Tapper die on a cross for you and rise again on a third day?" Well, no. Real quiet now. We were shouting just a minute. But see, David had great intentions, and he saw the Ark of the cart, uh, ark of the Covenant on a cart because the world always wants the blessings and the miracles, but they don't want to pay the price to live it. And there are some times you're going to have to sacrifice your wants and desires for the presence of God in your life, for freedom. So David comes into the house of Abinadab, And they see the Ark of the Covenant, and it says, And they brought it from the house of Abinadab on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, bring that up for me, guys. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. When it reached the threshing floor of Nacon, it's about a four to six-inch piece of stone. It's where they separate the wheat, and they pound it on the floor. When it reached the threshing floor of Nacon, the ox cart stumbled, and the Ark of the Covenant began to fall. Why? Because whenever you put God on a cart, there's a threshing floor coming. He's not only the God that can make the crooked way straight, but he's the God that will make your straight way crooked. Oh, I don't like that gospel. Go back to the one when we were jumping just earlier and shouting. But we've got to preach to you the whole gospel. And it says, when it reached the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached up. Uzza is actually, it says in the Greek, the grandson. Where it says the sons of Abinadab, it's the grandson. So here is this kid who grew up in church. Daddy was the preacher, granddaddy was the preacher. Came to Wednesday night, Sunday morning. Came every time the doors were open. But to him, it was just a piece of furniture does that happen in a generation? Whenever a generation ceases to have a power encounter with God, whenever a generation ceases to have a power encounter in their youth group or in their church, it becomes no big deal. It's just what we do and they have the conformity that is bred (coughs) excuse me the conformity that is bred from familiarity (coughs) so familiar with the ways of God that we conform to the ways of the world God on a card. And they reach the threshing floor of Nacon and the young man who grew up in church when it began to fall reaches up and he touches it and God says, because of your irreverent act. In other words, because you dared to play games with my presence. You die. The young man died physically there. And I'm deeply concerned as I close this meeting there are people within the sound of my voice or watching me on live stream that are dying spiritually because you've lost your fear of God. And you think you can come to church on Sunday and shout and holler, but live differently the rest of the week, and, and you're spiritually dying. And then you wonder why. Why am I going through so much? And you're dying. The Bible says it took David three months to get over what took place, the length of summer. And they took the Ark of the Covenant to the house of Obed-Edom. It was six miles from the house of Obed-Edom to the tabernacle place that David wanted to set up the Ark of the Covenant. After three months of weeping and wailing, David says, burn the cart. Get rid of all those things. We've got to feel the presence of God upon us. Again, I asked you earlier, how many want the real thing? How many are longing for the presence of God to be in your church, in your home? If you're serious then you've got to create a habitation or an atmosphere in your home where God will come and dwell with you. So that means you've got to burn some carts. They put the ark on the shoulders of a priest. Now please understand, the average step is two feet, two inches. Two feet, two inches. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, David took six steps. One, two, three four, two feet, two inches, five, got the ark on him, six, no one's died. Bring the oxen, build an altar, cut it, dress it, lay it on the altar, take a lamb, cut it, dress it, lay it on the altar, burn them up, worship God, send up incense, live your life Monday through Saturday. He did this for six miles. 2,437 total stops over six miles. 406 stops per mile. 2,437 oxen slain. 2,437 calf slain. If it took 30 minutes to prepare the ritual sacrifice, that's 1,259 hours or 52 days to make a six-mile journey. Eight hours of sleep, three hours to eat each day. That's 630 more hours, 26 more days to cover six miles. Which means it took David 78 days just to move the ark from one place to another. And David learned that he had some battles to fight as a leader of the nation of Israel. And he only had two bat- two bullets to fire. The bullet of worship and the bullet of God's presence. And with worship he soared and with the presence of God he warred. Likewise, we go to battle with praise. We go to battle with God's presence. And when God's armies and his enemies are scattered. But we also have the bullet of the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God. We have the bullet of the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The question is, are you willing to burn some carts and to create a life in your life where the Holy Spirit feels comfortable in your home, with your family? with your children you have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas this recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service for more information please visit us at ctagsa.com connect with us on Facebook or call us at 210-657-3578